Welcome to the Movers Mindset Podcast, where I interview movement enthusiasts to find out who they are, what they do, and why they do it. In this episode, Dan Edwards explains the value of playing games and unpacks what motivates him. He discusses the struggle of choosing where to spend your time and energy and the difficulty of distractions. Dan shares his insights on parkour's relationship to efficacy and the power and importance of storytelling. But first, do you know that our website also has answers to training-related questions from athletes? Is there a specific athlete you'd like to hear from? Reach out to us on social networks or email team at moversmindset.com. Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. Hi, I'm Dan Edwards. Dan Edwards is a parkour teacher, leader, and the co-founder and CEO of Parkour Generations and creator of the International Adapt Qualifications. He has helped teach and spread the benefits of parkour to thousands of people across the education, fitness, and sporting communities. Dan speaks regularly at major events across multiple continents and has a deep interest in human potential and the search for self-knowledge. Welcome, Dan. Hey, great. Good to be here, man. Dan, the more people that I get to talk to on the podcast, the more I just love talking to people. And I always want everyone that I interview to understand that I don't have an agenda and I just have like things that I want to talk about and things that interest me and people find some of them interesting and that's great. So where I want to start today is, can you unpack the super fight? I don't want to call it a shtick, but I, I got a little bit of that through Andy's Hero Forge project. And I'm just like, okay, well, where did that come from? And, and I don't want to go so far as to say, could we try one? Because I have no clue how it works. But can you tell me a little bit about that? <laughs> uh, okay, first of all, we have to do one. Um, <laughs> damn, I should have bought the deck. Um, super fight. Uh, so the first thing you have to understand, I suppose, is that um, Fisher, Andy Fisher, and me go a long, long way back. So I've known him for 35 years, probably. And we've basically been best friends for pretty much all that time so so you know we know each other very well and we are both equally stupid and idiotic in our in what we like to do and talk about and you know we have the same movie interests and you know the same <laughs> the same books we like and whatever so so we kind of know what we're both what we're going to both enjoy um and we he was down last night actually and you know we we will just spend whole evenings talking crap and playing <laughs> playing games and watching movies and watching stupid stuff on you know watching tv shows and and then talking about like really erudite cool sophisticated intelligent things as well and then going back to the crap and the and the, and the rubbish and super fight was kind of um it was a game that uh that fish found um and you know we wanted to try because we try loads of games and so he put it down and we tried it and we liked it so much that we thought we would actually like record an episode just because we thought it was pretty funny and he wanted to put it on the podcast, the Hero Forge podcast. So, and I'm kind of a guest, like co-host on that at times or whatever, yeah, yeah. somehow. So, um, so, uh, <laughs> a recurring, your recurring theme. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, and you know, whatever, if it helps him out. So, um, so I did that and then, um, and then he said, you know, let's do, we'll do every now and again, we'll release a Superfight episode. So it's really interesting you raise it actually, cause I haven't thought about Superfight for, for a while. And then, um, someone literally two days ago was like, you should do super you should bring super fight back and you know put it do its own it should have its own podcast or whatever so um so <laughs> well, uh, you know. i don't think it's gonna happen but um <laughs> it is uh it's a really fun game and um and it's just an excuse for us to to talk crap um and the, the the coolest thing about it actually which was never released is that um we did a load of episodes that were for our friends only so mm. we would we would take one of our friends sort of um mentally and that that friend we would then have as one of the super fight characters and that he then had to he or she had to then go through three rounds of super fight 
as like a pagoda, like a Bruce Lee oh, game of death right, pagoda, right, right. to try and, to try and win against the game. Mm. Um, and and like one of us would play the friend, and one of us would play the three opponents. And we, we put most of our good friends through, all as stupid, equally stupid as us. Um, and no one ever passed. It's weird. The super fight, <laughs> the super fight game has this like weird magical skill that you cannot win three times in a row against it. No one ever did. A lot of them got to the third level, but never quite beat the third level. And we played really fairly. You know, that, that um, goes just like Game of Death, right? <laughs> exactly like Game of Death. That was all we based on. So, and, and those, those episodes we only sent to those friends. Obviously, we couldn't release them because they were, you know, I guess they, no one's going to know those people after us. Well. Um, but um, they were the best fun was recording those. So, yeah, it's a really cool game. We should definitely play it. You would, you would enjoy it. Um, maybe you'd enjoy it. I don't know. It's, if you're really, if you have a really stupid sense of humor, <laughs> I would say I've been accused of having a stupid sense of humor. Then you'll probably like I've, it. I've spent way too much time playing the original D&D &D back in the day. So yeah, you're, I, you're golden and you're golden. golden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I first, like, I, I really don't understand all the mechanics of it, but when I first heard like it happened, the discussion about it, I thought, okay, this is just silly and it's funny. But then I realized you're actually using the most critical part of your brain you're you're saying all right you know reasoning lump of gray matter i'm going to give you a stupendously ridiculous uh, challenge go and and i was like that's really brilliant because it forces you so uh, i'm wondering have you guys ever have you ever so after you play a couple rounds of super fight and then you have a couple of whatever your preferred beverages and then you move to the erudite discussion have you ever gone into what is it about this game that actually makes it seem like such a magnificent scalpel to wield? And why is it always so much fun? It's just evergreen. We've never like discussed that, that on a, as a podcast, but I mean, we, we, we will, um, we're big into games, I guess, you know, we've been playing, playing games of many types since we were kids and still do. So, um, uh, so we, we do like to analyze games, I guess, and break them down and sort of think, why is, why is this good? And there are some, there are some really, really clever games out there, card games out there at the moment. Uh, there's another one we're kind of playing at the moment called, um, One Night Werewolf, mm. which is just fantastic idea. It's super simple, but, um, and it's basically a, a group of people around and, and you kind of, you get given a card as to, as to what your character is and it's random and you'll either be like a werewolf or a villager or whatever, um, or, a, or a, a spy or a thief, but no one else knows. And you kind of have to, the, the, you play the round certain different roles get to swap different cards in at different times and, and change who they are whatever and then at the end of the round you would have to kind of guess who the werewolf is mm. and the werewolf's obviously trying not to be caught to so, be caught so he's right. trying. it's super simple it takes 10 minutes to play around but it's really re you have to really really think it requires you know it requires real focus to think wait a minute is, is this person bluffing me or is and i have to work out if there's two are there two farmers in here that have done that it, it becomes really really um right testing. And the prisoner's dilemma and yeah. true psychology all mixed in yeah right? it's great fun and and super fight is kind of like that i mean it just puts you in stupid situations where you've got to basically argue and debate effectively mm -hmm. and come up with a reason and convince your opponent as to why you think your character should win with those abilities and stuff right. so so it is. It's just a reasoning tool, I suppose, and debate tool. But um, and it also you can draw on your the law, the extensive law you have if you're a fanboy like me. The extensive law you have on yeah, all things superheroic and yeah. whatever. I'm gonna die a horrible death. My character is going down. You're just gonna outmaneuver me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you don't necessarily need to have loads of info, but if you've got the info, you can normally argue. Well, you can normally come across as if you're arguing from a position of strength, which is why I was able to beat Fisher quite regularly. Mm. But I have more of that geek knowledge than he does. Mm. So he's probably smarter than I am, but I have more of the geek knowledge. So I was able to win more often, I think. He would deny that. He'll probably say he won equal amounts. But if you count, if you count up, I'm pretty sure I'm ahead on the scorecard. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, today is the beginning of a whole bunch of interviews that we're doing here in London. So I'm jet lagged and I haven't slept. So... <laughs> 
I'm coming out of left field. And the next question I want to ask you is, we were at um, an event and it was at night and like there's always night missions. And I, I think you were actually over a Cyclops. So I think as I walked by, you had a flashlight stapled to your forehead and you were looking. And it was kind of funny because like I, I saw you because you have a flashlight on your head. And it's like the Cyclops is coming toward me. And I was just like, I had rage quit the game. I was just like, no, I don't give a crap if you shine that flashlight on me. And I, I had a little exchange with you where I said, like, I don't know how you do it. Like, how do you manage to stay so passionate and energetic? And at the time, it was a throwaway comment that I had made because I was heading for the shower. But afterwards, I thought, no, actually, Dan is really consistently not just energetic and motivated because people, I think, would agree to that. But I think you're also, now this is the question is, is this true? I think you're also very uniformly, like, really grounded at motivating yourself. And one of the questions I have here is, all right, so you're 40 years old and you've been training forever and you've been doing martial arts and you're doing parkour and all these different activities and you're in spectacular shape. How do you manage to like get up every day and keep doing like what you do to live your life? Like, how do you, like, where do you go? You know, do you have days where you have dark days where it's like, it's Tuesday and I don't want to do anything. I'm staying in bed. Or like, how do you stay motivated? Um, it's a good question um and it's not one that i've ever had to really ask of myself i think in great depth and the reason is probably because i started training and started you know because of the way i was i because of the stories i grew up on and the way i kind of um, what i exposed myself to when i was very young mm -hmm. the concepts i exposed myself to and took very seriously when i was like 9 10 11 years old and then throughout my teenage years that's just kind of how i think so there was there and i can't remember being alive before that so um because i don't remember that being that young so so that's just the way my life has always been it was always sort of i, I mean i was raised on stories of action heroes and martial arts and fantasy stories and you know these ideas of basically superheroic figures heroic mm -hmm. figures right so and that was the that was incredibly important to me so it's kind of the first thing I can remember, right? So, um, and part of that, part of that, 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 um, that paradigm is, is training the self is, is making sure you're in a good enough condition to be of use at, at whatever time and to look after yourself and being resilient and all this sort of stuff. So, and having the skills to solve the problem as you know, the heroes and all the stories always eventually end up with those skills. I have to learn those skills or whatever. So, so that was kind of, embedded and my martial art training was so fanatical from that age onwards that um that it was just drilled it was just drilled in i suppose mm -hmm. that this is this is what you do you train this is part, this is part of your life so I've, it's never really been a question of maybe i should stop training you know <laughs> um it's just a question of what training am i going to do this week and what am i what am i interested in and what what do i want to learn next um mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff it is a kind of it's a learning thing it's a continuous desire to learn probably. yeah I've, I've seen you take large uh i was gonna use the word detour but i don't mean like a negative way i've seen you take large tangential trips to like learn to throw knives and, and axes or i forget how that one all went but mm. like I, I think that really says a lot about someone um who's willing to put in work to at least understand where mastery level would be if not actually achieve mastery level but that, that's non-trivial to even be able to understand what the masters are doing and i think i've seen you do that in a couple different um physical physical arenas and that's not something that a lot of people do a lot of people become not a one-trick pony but i only studied one martial art i didn't go like oh i should probably take a detour and go learn judo because it's very closely related to aikido mm -hmm. I, I never i never like went that far I just i worked on one thing and then i switched to another thing 
So there's a line of question there. I could say like, are there any things that you have like abandoned? Like you, maybe you look at knife throwing and you say, all right, I understand. And I'm glad that I did that. And I'm feel as if I'm done with it. But is there anything that you you've like picked up and like we were talking about tea before, like you ever like started going into something and I, no, this is not cool. I don't want to do this. Have you ever really dropped something entirely? I mean, I suppose it means, I suppose it depends on what you mean by dropped. Um, in terms of there are things that I have trained more intensively and then and then not but and then stop putting time into that training but I wouldn't say those things have been dropped because I would just say they've they were part of a training path and they've informed that path and added to it so you carry that knowledge on with you it's just a question of do I want to spend am I going to spend five years training this one year or or 20 years Mm -hmm. um and some things I've trained some things have always been the core so obviously for me parkour is a tangent is one of those tangents right Mm -hmm. because I didn't start with parkour so for me the through line is actually probably just general practical competence so um and a huge part of that my 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 emphasis when i was young was on fighting but it also included things like um survival skills and everyday um, carry and yeah and 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 exactly skills like that and then fitness and then um sort of um sort of a cognitive learning and 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 mental skills i guess as well and you realize how important they are as well things like things like being resilient and being focused and, yeah, and, and meditation and mindfulness and all this. they're all they're all part of the same path so so for me it's just one path and that's the through line and then i'll experiment with other things here and there like i you know i went through a phase of, of studying archery quite a lot and, and getting into things like that and but i don't train archery every week but having trained it enough to understand the principles of it that i find very useful because so i know okay now i can shoot a bow if i need to um and it's great fun and if the opportunity comes up to keep training it again maybe yeah you could pick it up and really really shine it yeah i mean it's all it's all part of one training pathway which is to to this kind of i search for competence physical Mm. and mental uh and emotional i suppose competence if i say um who's the first person that comes to mind when you think of the word competent who, who comes to mind First person, hmm, that's tricky. Um, it would probably be a, it would probably be a character from a story. Again, that's, it would that's prob- great. Which what character? Would- it would probably be Batman, or someone like that. Yeah, because these, these I would they have to be Batman, right? Mm-hmm. Super competent guy, right? He can just deal with any situation. He's trained himself. Him or, him or someone like Captain America. Again. I feel like this is about to become a super fight because I'm going to say, because it wouldn't be Tony Stark because Tony Stark is actually quite incompetent. I'm like, oh no, we're going down the, there yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah, and this, yeah, there could be a whole, that's a whole yeah. other discussion, right? The superior discussion. But, uh, this brings up that, I mean, I didn't, I didn't intend to do this. I don't plan this stuff out in advance, but I'm like, oh wow. So like, this is actually, the super fight is using one particular tool set that you know like it's kind of a way to check it like let's trot this out every once in a while and have a cool super fight with somebody to verify that this particular skill really works yeah i mean one of the one of the games we've been playing for example super fight sort of came out sort of the reason we like super fight is because it's similar to a game that we've been playing for about 30 years me and fisher and a lot of my friends um and that game is called no tools no shooters mm. so it's um it's a game it's a verbal game you just play when you're walking down the street and one of you just says okay um and the, the classic entrance line is stripped to the waist, no tools, no shooters, which means, which means these are the parameters of the fight. Right. <laughs> so they're stripped to the waist. Um, you've got no weapon. Tools means weapons, no weapons, and no shooters, means no guns, right? So, um, so it's basically just hand to hand. And then you pick two names and then you look to the other person. They have to, ju- they have to justify why they think who would win. Ah. Uh-huh. Right. So it could be celebrities, it could be your friends, it could be anything. Right. So, um, and, and we've been playing this for years. And then when Superfight came out, we were like, man, the guys who created Superfight stole our idea. So that's basically what that <laughs> is. It's a better idea. version of our game. Yeah. Um, so, um, 
And, but that, the reason we used to do those debates was always literally, literally it's just thinking, you know, and some, sometimes it's jokes and joking and sometimes, sometimes it's quite serious. Like, who do you think is more competent in this situation? And you can put rules to it. You could say like, you could say like strip to the waist, but with a shooter of their choice. Right. Jack Bauer versus Jason Bourne in a city. Mm. Go. And you have to justify like, who's going to win that and why? What are the skills? So it kind of is, it is a sort of tactical training method in a way of sort of like yeah, theoretical like a, training method. A flexible mindset to yeah. try and figure out here, you know, here's a pile of junk thrown on the table. And my dad used to tell stories about mechanics that he worked with and they would look at his tool set and go, yeah, those tools are great. They're new and everything he said, but a real mechanic can fix something with a basket, you know, a peach basket mm-hmm. full of crap, you know, like blunted, broken tools. You should be able to still do the job. Yeah. So it's, it strikes me that what you're doing is honing that flexible mindset, that problem solving. And, and, and the other side of problem solving is the weakness finding. So like the, the idea of how do I accomplish X also involves how, you know, like where have you failed in the thing I'm attacking? Where have you failed to prepare so that I can find a way to penetrate? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that all, you know, the, those, it all comes from that same, that it all originates from that through line. It's just that me and the, the group of friends that I grew up, grew up with, a lot of them, not all of them, some of them were actually quite sane, normal individuals, but a lot of them are, um, <laughs> a lot of them went down the same paths or, or journeyed along that path with me. And they are, you know, quite, quite fanatical about this, these types of training you'll see when you interview fish is the same. Um, and, uh, and, and so, those are the things that kind of interest us. We spend our time thinking and talking about. Mm. So, yeah, it's pretty sad, really. But you know, shortens the day. <laughs> this is going to seem like it's from left field, but what I really want to ask you next is, what are you currently, if anything, struggling with? So, like, what's something that you're like, all right, I hope nobody spots me. Like, I can't do climb ups or anymore. Like, I, I know that's not the problem, but like, what are you currently struggling with in training? Um, in any way that you want to answer the question at all? I mean. Uh, I was when I currently struggling with, I'm probably, um, probably the biggest challenge at the moment. The thing that I find very interesting, uh, as a, as a skill to develop is how to manage the amount of things that we as humans in a modern industrialized world want to do mm-hmm. and learn and, and us, and they're expected to, to understand and follow and put into our day. You know, how do you manage all those things? Cause it, because I do a lot of a lot of shit. I mean, I do a lot of stuff, um, and and it's quite easy. And I'm I would consider that I'm very disciplined and have always been very disciplined since I was young. Because that's how I spent my entire youth was was creating Building a crazy discipline. amount of discipline <laughs> and like at the expense of any developing any other skill. So I had no emotional intelligence or anything like that. I was like, this, <laughs> would was you like, say discipline is your superpower? Yeah, I, if 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 I have one, that was it. Okay. Yes. Um, so All right, so what you're currently struggling with, and 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 that. Um, so I've got lots of discipline, but. Even someone that's disciplined like me, it's really, really tough to manage your day and not get swept up in all the crap that we're bombarded with by, mm. by communications, by social media, by the world, by the news, by the, you know, the world we live in. So managing our deciding, basically filtering, that I think is a skill of like, what am I going to focus on? What am I going to do? What am I going to learn? What am I going to give? What am I going to give my time and attention to? That skill, I think, now is a primary skill for human beings because the in the modern world, because you're just bombarded. And if you're not careful, you actually sacrifice your autonomy and your, your, your choice, your, you know, you sacrifice your, your ability to decide your identity and it become, your identity just becomes a reflection of the crap that's thrown at you from social media. And you just end up reflecting that back to the world. So it becomes this vacuous thing. And the phone, I mean, I was, when I was at Arda Retreat, the thing, one of the things I was talking about was, was the danger of the phone in kind of, um, in as part of my talk about sort of managing your day and that. And I, you know, I really think that 
that the mobile phone is po- possibly one of the most dangerous inventions for, <laughs> yes. for the human species in terms of the... Yeah, yeah, dangerous like a super powerful tool. You can cut your arm off with this, kids. Like, yeah. not, not dangerous like it's going to literally kill us, the phone. I'm not going to choke to death on it, but like, yeah. it is a really powerful tool. Yeah. And it didn't come with instructions. <laughs> it didn't come with instructions. It's super powerful, but, the, but because of that, the danger it presents us in, it's, it's, also very, it's also very insidious, and you don't realize how much your life is actually governed by this thing and how much everything you think and decide and all that you know, is governed by a tool that is designed by people who have spent hundreds of millions of dollars designing it to addict you to mm-hmm. it, et cetera, right? So, mm-hmm. so that's just one example, the phone, which, which, which is where you get all your information, all your contact, all that sort of stuff, and you don't choose that, right? That's filtered for you by someone else, so by algorithms and things. So if you're not careful nowadays, I think you can very easily get lost and come to the end of your life perhaps and think, wait a minute, I didn't really decide my life. Everything was decided sort of for me and I just went along with it and I didn't really choose my day. And so I think filtering that, that that's the skill I'm really always trying to work on now, which is, which is about, right, actually, how do I decide what I do this day? What do I do first? Do I give, do I play the Russian roulette of the first thing in the day, picking up my phone and checking my emails? That's Russian roulette, right? Because you, you could get a shitty email in there. <laughs> get out of my head. Oh my goodness. Yes, right, exactly. Absolutely. I don't, if, I don't, I call it surfacing. I don't surface in the morning. I, when I first get up, I get up really early and I don't surface for like an hour and a half. And dude, that's the, awesome. And, and I actually, I'll put this on the microphone. I'm actually, Adam McClellan challenged us at a class recently, like come up with a thing you can do every week. And one of them I said was, I'm going to go back to doing morning meditation. I do a morning like stretching and recovery session, but I, now I'm like, I'll go back to sitting in Cezanne and do like 10 or 15 breaths. And I'm totally with you on the, uh, if people Amazing. would take one piece of advice is don't surface until like at least like a specific, about like, oh, first I'm doing this, 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 this. Like I write in the morning, I work on the podcast project. And then at some point I open up the email client, WhatsApp, open like 15 different mediums. And I look at all the things and I'm like, I mean, I think it's great. It's a privilege yeah. to have all those people engage. And then I go, okay, all right, I only got time for four. So these three go here and then I sort it, but I, I'm totally, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. But that's good. I mean, and you've, the thing is you've got it, but not many people get it. Right. right. The vast majority don't get it and don't do that. And they do like, for example, I was at the Art of Retreat doing this presentation and, and these are, these are all the people listening to this presentation are all go-getters, they're self-motivated, they, you know, most of them are overachievers. So you know, they're really disciplined people themselves. And I asked them the question, like, who, who amongst you turns, the first thing you do in the morning is roll over in your bed and turn your phone on and right. check your emails? Who no, does that? Not and all that, of them. Yeah. Probably 90% hands went up. Yeah. So, wow. Um, uh, and you know that's, that's well, there's a terrible a, thing to do but. So this is like um, sleep deprived and I was reading a bunch of articles about this on the airplane in airplane mode and one of the questions that I have is if you um, I actually just lost my train of thought that's how sleep deprived I am <laughs> <laughs> can you keep going because I'll find my train of thought in a yeah minute. but I mean and I think I mean to, to bring it back that skill is the skill that I think is is really important to develop and for me it's about each day now the meta for me is how am I going to manage my time? Cause you've only got a certain amount of time in life. And, and what do I think is in, important mm-hmm. enough to prioritize on a given day in a granular sense and in a given week and on and a, and a year. So almost like programming, like what's your, what's your microcycle? What's your macrocycle, mesocycle? Right. And, and how are you deciding what's important enough to give your time to? Because if you don't decide your phone and social media will decide for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're at the whim of fate. I mean, you may, you know, then you're not choosing anything. So I think that skill is really important to develop. And that's the one that I kind of work on the most. So it's not, a, it's not a question of like, what am I going to train now so much? Cause my training is always, is in some ways organic and continuous. So now it's a question of how much time am I going to devote to training and how much time am I going to put to other things and project development mm. and et cetera, et cetera, and not project developing time off that sort of stuff. So, I think that's a really tough skill to develop. And I think 
more and more of that skill needs to be taught at a younger age because people just don't they're, they're not taught that sort of stuff and they grow up with the phone strapped to their hand and i think the i think i heard recently that the the average adult touches their phone three thousand times a day so i can totally believe that wow. and yeah there are so many of those little nuggets that we could trot out that are all totally true and scary um one of the things that I did, and I don't know when I, maybe I did it like two years ago. I, I went and I took my phone. I'm pulling up my phone here so Dan can see that I'm not full of shit. And that's the home screen on my phone. It's completely blank. There are no apps on it. All the apps Zen live, screen. all the apps live off to the right. And I, do you have the same screen? No, no, I was going to say this is Zen screen. That's yeah. a really cool. Yeah, it's idea, completely but... blank. It's just the background of the phone. And I open it up, I pull down to search and I open the app that I was looking for. And when you said 3000, when I decided, I read an article, it said, try this. I opened my phone so many times. I opened it up and I'm like, I'm looking at a blank screen. And I'm like, why did I open the phone for? I don't know, close the phone. I did it hundreds of times a day. I'm like, I'm staring at my blank phone again. Why am I doing this? Oh my goodness, I'm a trained. Like, so when you wow. said, th- I don't know if it's the app, I did it 3,000 times, but it is literally the case. And I did the experiment on myself. I just move all the apps off the front. You'll open the phone. And instead of hitting the, the F for Facebook, you're going to go, oh, I don't see the visual cue. What am I doing here? And now I, Amazing. yeah, it, it totally works. Now I pick up the phone, I swipe down and I've also gotten faster at searching so I can open the phone, find my weather app, look at the weather, swipe the one and do close it quicker than I could before. Cause I used to get distracted. I used to like, I'm looking at, Oh, there's the F I'd go on the Facebook, I'd go in here. Yeah. So I, I, I wish I could think of where I read that. It was probably, my guess would be, it was Leo Babota, the guy from right. Zen yeah. Habits. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably where I got that from, one of those Dude, that's guys. that's a great idea. It's yeah. brilliant. I mean, like, if, if, you're, if you're within the sound of our voice and you're thinking that we sound like we're making sense, try it. Just go on your phone. It takes take, uh, the pain. Move <laughs> all the apps. I'll make a blank screen on the front and then just see what that does to your phone. You know, it says my iPad's the same way. My Mac is the same way. The desktop is completely clear. The dock is down and I only launch apps by command space, search for the app and bring it to the front. I'm like, it's always on demand. But the phone was an eye opener. And that's, that's an example of, I mean, that's a small change, right? That's one small change. But that, <laughs> but that one small change could be the thing that actually creates a cascade effect yes. of changes for someone. So it's really important to have just have the discipline to go, right, I'm just going to make one change yes. and do that. And then that can have a huge effect because that will free up you know, two hours of your day because you're now not searching <laughs> right. mindlessly. Yeah. And then those two hours you can do other cool stuff. And so that creates more good changes. So I think that's really important, that sort of stuff. And and that those are actual practical things people can do. Yeah. And no one's being no one's being taught them. It's only if you're clever enough and already driven enough to stumble up to look for strategies. Here. Right. I didn't find that ten years ago. So it's really interesting stuff that and um you know I think more and more that's that's kind of um in a way, it's a form of parkour, right? So it's. Uh, I remember talking to Steph years ago, um, Steph Amphigrew, um, and um, uh, years ago, and I asked him about like, you know, what are you doing in your training now, man? What's your What's your training? Because um, he's been training you know, longer than most of us in parkour, um, and he said, my parkour now is is really in navigating kind of the the, the entrepreneurial world, mm-hmm. and in a way, learning how to learning about business and things like that. And he said, that's my parkour now. That's that's where my path has taken me because that's something I have to adapt to and learn and understand. And I was obviously going down the same path. So I was like, I totally get it. <laughs> um, so that's really interesting. And that that is a, that mindset is you know it doesn't matter whether you're learning to jump or backflip or, or fight or whatever. But what matters is that you're learning and that you're you're challenging yourself and having to adapt to that thing, whatever it is. And that is in a way purely that is the parkour philosophy. Mm. Dan, I've said 
before, everybody on the podcast has heard me say that I love to collect stories because I believe that when you hear someone tell a story, the passion that they use, the words they use, the story they pick, all those things really reveals a lot about the person. So I'm wondering if there's any story that you would like to share. I have a lot of stories and uh, most of them are probably really dull, but um, uh, um, let me tell you a story I told recently, I suppose it's a very short story, um, but it's a story that, um, that, that, I, that I think has a good message um, in that um, uh, when I got into martial arts when I was very super young and I was, uh, I began training actually not in a school. I began training um, by myself with my friends and we used to fight at school uh, just trying to become Bruce Lee pretty much. Um, that was the depth of it. Um, but anyway, we fought a lot and we weren't constrained by any kind of tradition or, um, you know, the right way of doing things or etiquette or any of that stuff. We just fought. So we were really like learning practical skills really early on which is kind of cool in a way but uh anyway got in a lot of trouble etc then then a few years a couple of years after that i kind of got um into actual martial art training at some stage i was sort of like well i should actually probably go and learn <laughs> like uh, formally how you do this stuff um and then went down that path you know for decades so um uh, uh, but one of the most interesting things i learned early on was that that, that one of my teachers uh, one of my first teachers told me that um, the most important thing in martial art is sweeping, uh, and not sweeping the leg, not right. like not like Karate Kid sweep the leg, Johnny or whatever, um, but like sweeping the broom, right? So, was, you know, and, and when you're young, you're like, I thought the most important thing in fighting was like ripping someone's throat out or whatever, <laughs> right. but surely, but but no. Um, so he's like, no, no, sweeping's first, and and it was a Japanese tradition, and obviously at the beginning, if you trained in any of the Japanese traditions, um, any of the Budo or whatever, then um, you, every class pretty much begins with sweeping the dojo, right? So, and and you just uh, so you, you don't have any choice, you just do it, right? Because you're you're a white belt, you're just like, well, okay, everyone else <laughs> did it, um, but and all the high, you know everyone is doing it. This is the, the important point is that all the high grades are doing it too. All the yodansha, etc., are, are also sweeping the floor at the beginning of the class, and everyone does it without any thought. So, and then. Uh, so I did that, and then you know, as time went by, I began to understand why you do it. Obviously, in terms of the 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 uh, leaving the ego at the door and the humility it brings, and also the attention to detail and and all that sort of thing. And then through my life, that's kind of been a theme that's been repeated. And I see in all great sort of like what what I call kind of like cultures of excellence, I suppose, whether individual or, or group cultures or whatever, um, that they have this real dedication to detail. So that that sweeping first story. Um, as in, you know, sweeping is the most important thing. So just focus on sweeping first, do that. That was kind of, um, was replicated more recently when I met, um, uh, it was another name drop. So, but, um, when I met, um, and befriended a guy called Joseph Fruchek who's the founder of Fighting Monkey. And he, uh, was one of the stories he tells, um, is about the, the, the he met in early on in his training, he met a very high level dancer and the dance, he asked the dancer, um, what's the most important thing you've learned from movement? What's some, you know, what's, what's the key kind of rule in your movement training that you think everyone should follow and this guy was like a world-class dancer and the guy said to him cleaning he's like what do you mean by that <laughs> uh, and he said i think uh, and by what i mean what i mean by that is if you have if you focus on attention to detail and do everything very cleanly um you know kind of every every little thing you do as perfectly as you can then if you imagine the accumulation of years of training is if you if you think of it as putting one sheet of paper on top of another as you're building up you're building up a stack of pieces of paper every day of your training is a piece of paper if you put that piece of paper on slightly crumpled and slightly dirty and slightly bent and then you put another 
piece of paper on top of that, slightly bent, slightly crumpled, and another, and another, and another. Pretty soon, your stack is going to be very wobbly. Very, the foundation is not going to be strong. It's going to be all over the place. Probably fall over. Whereas if you make sure every page you put on is clean, um, as in, as in, you you have real attention to detail. So it's it's really crisp. It's you know ironed. There's no creases in it. Then your stack of paper is going to be really solid, really aligned, um, and have a great foundation. And it can go really really high up without falling over so you can you know you, you build that foundation so cleaning first cleaning is the most important thing everything you do clean it basically is his idea so when you're training do it cleanly um you know to 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 the to, to real detail um and that i think that that kind of, it's really interesting that that however wherever i go in life i kind of hear that that all the all the masters and the great people because i would consider joseph a master in terms of movement you know they all have this they all come back to this simplicity of just how you do anything is how you do everything, basically. Um, so do things really cleanly, real attention to detail. Don't skip anything. Don't cheat yourself. Don't don't um, skip the meet the last meter at the end of your 400 meter quadrupedi challenge. Don't stop at 399 meters. Do 400 meters. Right. It's that same thing. Is that do it cleanly, and if you do that, then the then everything will progress and work out well, um, and you're much more likely to have to, to to build strength and excellence. So you know that kind of when I heard that story young, the martial arts story, my teacher saying sweeping is the most important thing. At the time, I probably didn't understand it. But over over the years, over the 30 years or whatever I've been training, I've come to understand that actually, yes, this is the most important thing. <laughs> uh, and now I, so now I try and pass that on to to people. It's like, yeah, do, do the sweeping. Mm. That story, that stuff that I learned from martial arts and those disciplines, I think is very important to, I, I think that sort of stuff also ties into the movement world or, or rather sometimes it's lost in the movement training world and the movement training world does, don't have an understanding of that kind of thing. And, the, and, and I think that's really important because I mean, I've been involved now in the movement industry, the movement industry and the fitness industry for years, you know, at, at, at every level, I suppose. And at some stage, you know, you kind of look at it and think, what's the point? What's the point in being a good mover? All these people talk about mo- being a mover, being a good mover. Why? what's the point? You're going to die. Why does it matter if you're a good mover or not? Right. Um, so, um, you know, it's like, what, what does it actually do? And, and I think therefore it kind of, it comes back to when you, when you look at the martial arts and there are many flaws in the traditional discipline martial arts, obviously, as you know. Um, but one of the things they do well is that they don't emphasize, a lot of them don't emphasize the, the physical side of it. They will say, well, the reason we train the physical side is as a vehicle to explore these concepts, mm. which are far more important in life, mm-hmm. such as discipline, honesty, courage, humility, you know, all these, the values, right? right. Um, and, and, and so training it. is almost a kind of a, a vehicle to get to those, but it's almost sort of, um, it's almost sort of a um, physical capability is almost a byproduct and fitness and things like that are almost a byproduct of living a good life. It's like the verification of that you know how to work. Like sometimes you talk about sculptors work in clay and movement artists work in on, on the body and that's just the proof that you know what you're doing is it should show in the body but that wasn't the reason you did it i'm, I'm kind of asking like yeah i mean and it, yeah i i guess it comes back to the sort of and it, particularly in the fitness industry but the movement industry is similar as well in terms of the, it often has it backwards in, the, in that it trains to be fit or to move well mm. like the, that's missing the point the reason you the reason you're fit or need to move well so that you can live properly and explore the world and do things. So you're kind of missing the wood for the trees. You kind of got the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. If you're focusing on, I'm just going to make myself the best mover I can, you know, or I'm going to be as fit as I can. Why? The only reason to be fit is so that you can live a good life and explore and, and explore your passions and, and all that sort of stuff. 
And so, can you be physically fit if you're not also mentally fit? So if you haven't taken apart your philosophical, if you haven't actually stopped to, like, so the most important word I think is why. And if you haven't actually started thought about thinking, haven't begun to think about why, then you've, there's a whole field there that you haven't begun to understand. I think, and if, as, as Sinek said, you know, you have to start with why. And I, think, <laughs> yeah. I think it's right. I mean, you know, you, you're not, if you're a kid, you're not necessarily going to start with why. And fair enough, because you're, you're going through the process of the apprenticeship and you'll learn, you'll learn the question why as you go through it. But um, but as you get older, you should definitely start thinking. Yeah, what, why is it important to learn these things and train these things? And you know, am I am I training fitness just to be fit for some arbitrary reason? Because I'm not going to last, so it doesn't matter really. You know, your health is going to give out. So what do you? The question is, what are you going to do with that health? What are you going to do with that fitness? What are you going to do with that training? And that's the whole. That's why parkour is, it has some good. You know, those elements of strong to be useful and stuff like that. If you actually think about those things, it makes a lot of sense because. The reason you're training is so that you can do things, you know, right. uh, not just that you can be good at parkour or good at movement. Yeah. And, and the ante that I want to also not be a burden in so much as possible. I would like to also not be a burden in addition to also being able to be helpful. But there's, there are two sides to that. It's mm. not just, you know, can I help someone? But it's like, can I carry the things that I would like to carry or do I have to call my friends and get help you know, to make a really simple example of it? I want to also enable myself. Yeah, that kind of self-reliance and mm-hmm. the, the autonomy and um, yeah, the self-efficacy that comes through that kind of training. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a it's a really interesting thing that um that you know you've got to keep those you've got to get those values and those principles into whatever practice you're doing and and not lose sight of them. You know, for the sake of just being having this idea of being a better mover or you know a fitter athlete or whatever. Because really, you know, what what do those things mean really? I mean, you know, so, um, for me, that, that, that kind of search for meaning, I suppose, um, is, should, should be always at the, for, uh, not, not always at the forefront of your mind every day when you go training, but, but, um, it should be, it should be a question you ask regularly of yourself and sort of check in and think, why am I, why am I doing all this? Because that will kind of keep you on a, on a good path. And you may, you may come to the, the answer one day might be actually, yeah, I don't need to be doing this now. I need there's something else I need to be spending my time doing. It doesn't. It no longer matters that I'm fit, you know, sort of thing. People would be going, "No, you should always be fit and healthy." Because la da da. But um, but you know, maybe you get to stage where you're like, "Well, actually, the things that are more meaningful to me now don't they don't need that. They don't require that. Right. I need to put my time to something else." Yeah. Right. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why I particularly went into that, but um, but that that's the um. I guess I see it a lot now with the movement industry and people talking about, you know, being movers and better movers and this movement's better than that movement and blah, blah, blah. Um, in some sense, it's an enlightenment phase that I think the whole space is going through. So people have realized that, you know, that the trophy in the window is no longer the right metric to measure by that. Like that's sort of the metric of, you know, how many wins and how many losses. And now it's good that we're hearing people talk about, you should be fit. Like, it's like, all right, we've like moved up a level. So it's better. I think mm-hmm. it's better than it was, you know, maybe when I was a kid. Um, but you're right. I think there's definitely way more that can be dug into there about why, um, you mentioned self-efficacy and this thought popped into my head, which I've been having randomly. I don't know where the seed for this comes from, but there's something special about parkour. And I don't want to like go into the whole rabbit hole about that, but there's something about going into that environment, just me and the stuff, whatever it is. And there's no, you can't lie to yourself. <laughs> if you shin yourself on the jump, it's pretty much, you didn't make it. And if you do make it, you're clearly like, it's, there's such an objective, there's such an interface with objective reality. I think something happens to, it happened to me, it happens to people psychologically. They go into that space and the first thing they do is they just observe the space and they get parkour vision and they, they this is like this whole journey you go through. 
And I think when you come out of that, when you complete that first level up, you see everybody else differently. So you don't just look at that person who cut you off on the road and have a judgment about them. You see them as another free agent in the environment, like somehow training in parkour, and you can do it in other physical endeavors too, but somehow for me, training in parkour showed me that my that I was missing my self-efficacy is what made me think of this. When you said that word, it was like, oh, that this idea came to mind. So having just thrown it at you with zero warning, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that or if you mm-hmm. uh, if you have anything that you like, any pieces of that puzzle on the table that maybe you could help me put into the frame somewhere. I mean, well, I completely agree in terms of the, the, I mean, the first thing I, the first day I went training in parkour was in, when I was living in Japan, actually, in 2001 or something like that. Um, but um, the first day I went training, that was the first realization I had was, oh, this is, like, you can't hide. <laughs> like, you can't hide from this, you know. And I've been training in martial arts for, for a long time by then. Mm-hmm. But in the martial art world, you can hide. Yes. You can hide behind your belt. You can hide behind the idea that you can't really, you know, I can't show my skills because I'm not allowed to kill people. Hide behind your friends. You can hide behind yeah. your teacher, right? Yeah. All that sort of crap, right? So, but in parkour, it's like, you can't hide. It's like, you can do the jump or not. And it's a, it's a, it's a ruthless training discipline in that way. Um, and, a, and a, like a mirror, I always thought of it, it was just like a mirror up. You're, you're looking yeah. in a mirror every single day in parkour and it's t- showing you what you like. It's not judging you. It's just saying, this is what you like today. You can do it. You can't do it. You're lazy. You're not lazy. You're strong. You're not strong. Right. Um, you're brave. You're not brave. Do, you know, it's just, just saying that's the truth. So it's a real, a, a real way to understand yourself and give and get a huge, really harsh injection of self-knowledge sort of like oh my god this is that can go good that yeah. can go bad right um and it's and a lot of people find that very hard i think but that um if you if you persevere with it you will basically get a very real understanding of who you are and what you can do and then also yes ideally you should begin to understand that the only two things in the world you can control are your thoughts and your actions and they decide what happens in parkour mm. and that's it um and once you understand that you then realize that everything else whether it's the road rage guy in the car or whatever or, or the weather or whatever you know, as well, I can't control it, but I can only control my reaction to it. So that's the thing I should control is my, my thought in the situation. And it, and it does give you, you know, huge self-efficacy, I think. gives you, you have the opportunity to learn that in parkour. I don't think you automatically learn it because yes, yes, I, look how many yes. millions of people do parkour and, and, and perhaps don't Well, and, and this is where but, the, the whole unpack of people like, that's not parkour. And then we have the discussion of like, let's try and define parkour. I, I just mm-hmm. think that that's a good definition of it. If you, if by practicing the thing that we're considering calling parkour if you practice that thing and you get this lesson out of it that's a pretty good definition of it worked let's call it that um i'm not a big fan i don't really care much about labels and names and i'm just like um yeah we know it when we see it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yes, yes you, there's a there's a there's a quality to it you know but yeah i mean i i agree and, and for me i think the term i always prefer to use for parkour is is a transformative practice mm. so if you are using it to transform yourself in a positive way you're on the right Good. track. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're doing backflips or not or whatever. If you, if you are, if you are using it as a transformative practice, if it is that for you, then, then great. Rock I mean, there's, there can be no problem. So all those debates and things like that, I've, I've always thought those debates were fairly redundant and they've only got more redundant over time. They got louder for a while and they got quieter for a while, but yeah, they're, they're a waste of time. Well, and there's a constant wave of new people discovering, you know, discovering the world, discovering the internet, discovering this. So it's like there's always waves of new people who are like, oh, I want to pick a side. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's interesting stuff. But, you know, uh, I suppose now at least they have, um, it's interesting how communities develop because, um, they're, you know, the, 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 the more experienced communities, I suppose now, a lot of them have kind of sort of dealt with those problems doesn't mean they don't have new problems to deal with but a lot of them have sort of dealt with those problems and we don't for example in the uk we don't really see now the whole 
parkour versus free running debate very much anymore. No one really cares. That debate was done, shelved. Most people come into it now and they just do right. they pick what what they're going to do kind of in terms of how they're going to train but they don't really there's not a, like a big debate anymore about like i'm doing parkour free running that's kind of went five years ago so um <laughs> but in certain other countries it's still very much alive that debate so yeah it's interesting stuff we've been all over the place here conceptually but i still feel like we're coming back to storytelling each time so the idea of learning self-efficacy is you're really experiencing a journey and that's a form of storytelling only you are the story um so i feel like we should talk more about the use of storytelling and and now maybe let's bring it back um as much as i don't want to always talk about parkour but now let's bring it back to a little bit more nuts and boltsy stuff because it's easier to talk about so what is it that makes some sessions and this is hypothetical what makes some sessions so special because they bring in storytelling. Like I think we would agree when instructors bring in storytelling, it makes those sessions special and memorable and particularly uh, good at delivering a message, delivering a lesson. I'm just wondering like, what is it about storytelling that seems to fit so well with movement practice and so well with self-efficacy? Well, it fits, it may, it's going to improve everything. Right. And the reason is, is because, you know, there is nothing else but story. So, all humans only ever live in story. They only perceive the world through story, their own story. Their other, you, you are just your own narrative, right? Mm-hmm. A series of events happens, but you create a narrative through that and a through line that is your identity. But that's created by you. So you, human beings are story generation machines. That's what human consciousness does. So, And that's what sets us apart from animals that don't have that prefrontal cortex and the ability to do that. So we are storytelling machines and therefore we resonate with stories because that's all we know. So if you tell someone a message through a story, it is going to be more likely they will remember it. It will be stronger. They will, they will, it will have an affective impact on them, an emotional impact on them. And therefore they will remember it. They will embed it. They will replicate it. So therefore, but, but this is not to say when you say bringing storytelling into, into training, it doesn't mean you have to create a story about, you know, dragons, da, 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 da. You, you know, it, it, it is already a story. The fact that they've come to the class and you are the person teaching the class, that is already a story. You don't need to talk about any story to make it a good story. The story is already there. The question is, if you're the coach, if you're creating that experience, and I suppose when we in ADAPT, for example, in the Level 3 Coaching Certification, we talk about the profound experience and how really excellent coaches go into creating profound experiences for people. They're not so much necessarily focusing on making people their jumpers or runners or fitter they're now thinking how can i create a profound experience for individuals which will have an impact on their life so the 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 more experienced teachers in any world i think are just very good at understanding that there is already a story in operation here just because these 10 people have turned up to my class they're already looking at me thinking i'm a certain person in their story i'm the guide or the mentor or the enemy or whatever but i'm a person in their story depending on their narrative um and they're people in my story because i'm the coach or whatever and i'm therefore i see them as this so how you manage that story that will decide whether the session is is a good one or not so all coaches are storytellers some of them are just better than others so for example our night missions they they are different in that they are you know we we very definitely make them themed we very we very clearly give them a theme and a mess we tell them this is the story at the beginning and we tell them this is this is these are the themes we're going to work on and this is the challenge you're going to try and overcome um and it's done in a very kind of a lot, often a very serious way because stories can be very serious um but th- those are definitely using story in an overt fashion but the majority of training sessions that we run or that I run and that coaches run I suppose 
they're not necessarily overtly saying here's the story and you you've got to imagine you're throwing battle axes or whatever mm-hmm. you know but they are whether they do that or not they are they are creating a story for the people in that session they are the, they are the architect, architects of the story uh, and if they the sooner a coach understands that the better that coach will become the quicker that coach will become good i think because you understand that as soon as they walk through the door and and see the space and We've the room started, or whatever. Right. They, that story has begun for them already. They're, this is now the, a scene. It started when they left their house, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> left, and But you you have control of it when they come into your space, when they meet you at the station for the outdoor class, when they come into the gym, whatever. You know, when they meet you on the field of battle for the for the thousand muscle-ups or whatever you're doing. You know, <laughs> the story begins the minute they walk in. And so how you are, if you're telling the story, how you act from from the first second will begin to affect the story. And the more you can manage that and control it and, and um, influence it the way you want it, the more, the more likely they will have a profound experience and the more likely they'll go away thinking that that was awesome. But it doesn't necessarily need to be an active, let's do this as a story, people. You don't necessarily have to do that. You can do that, but you don't have to do that. Good storytelling does. The best stories are stories that you don't realize you're in the story, right? The best stories are when you're reading a book and you forget that you're reading a book and then you're like, and then something brings you out of it and you're like, Oh, I'm reading a book. I'm completely immersed, right? Yeah. And the best movies are the same. So, and that's the same with creating a good story in a training session. You want them to go through the session and forget that they're part of this story, but they're really, in, in, you know, massively invested in it emotionally in the challenge or whatever. And then when it ends, they go, oh, that was, that was a thing. That was mm. actually, uh, this was its own thing. But while I was doing it, I was just in flow state, I suppose, right? So that's what I think about storytelling. Um, and, um, and I think everything is a story and everyone is, everyone is living their own story. And that's why I think you should try to, it's, good, it's a good thing to understand storytelling and story, and story arc, narrative, you know, all the, the, the beats that go on. Um, so um, yeah, like, <laughs> pardon my verbal text, since we've dug into this, uh, are there any books that come to mind or videos or things that you want to just name drop? And, you know, not the, if you just drop them, then we'll find them and put them in the show notes. But I'm just thinking this would be a good opportunity if somebody realizes oh maybe i should work on that as an actual skill that i should practice are there some things that jump to your mind yeah i mean in terms i mean i'm I'm obviously i'm massively into storytelling because i'm a writer and i do you know uh, now i'm moving into screenplay writing and whatever and and i've written congratulations well it's it's, it's early days um so i'm used to to writing a story i I got to interview you right as you were becoming successful as a screenplay (laughs) awesome somewhere off but um (laughs) but uh i'm hugely into it and and if you want to study the structure of storytelling i think there are some books that are that are fantastic on that um obviously one of the classics is um mckee who wrote the book called story robin Mm -hmm. mckee um and that book is 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 given to all Hollywood screenwriters mm-hmm. when they begin. I mean, really, they should read that. And he was writing it from the, from the point of view of movies, I think. Um, and then um, John York um, wrote a book called Into the Woods. Uh, and he, John York, is the guy who basically made EastEnders popular. He basically created the the episodic format of TV sort of thing and made it popular. And I, I've, I've been to a couple of his lectures and, and that book, Into the Woods, I think if you if you want to get into storytelling and understand the, the the structure of storytelling, the physics of storytelling, let's say, then that book I think is probably the best that, I, that I've encountered. It's really, really good. If you like screenplay writing, then Save the Cat is an amazing book on screenplay writing. But And, and th- these are nothing to do with training or parkour or movement. But, um, but if in you, a way, they have everything to do with training. But yes, <laughs> right? you get into it and you understand the story, you go, oh, okay, so that's why the end of, the, the end of Act 2 is always like, like that and the mm. beginning of act three is like that mm. and then you can kind of go therefore my class right or my challenge session would work better if, follow those beats right. it's going to be good you mm. know when we do the night missions which are like nine or ten hours long you have to do that you have to think where is the belly of the beast where is the uh, elixir moment where's the mentor that they're meeting you mm. don't necessarily need to tell them those things but you have to think 
these are the bits I have to get in there because that it's been demonstrated and Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey is, is a good study of that, I suppose. It's been demonstrated that that is how humans experience the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's York basically brings it down to physics and says there is only one story. And the reason is, is physics means there can only be one story. And the story is basically thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Right. And that's it. Right. And that's that's the nature of how all things work on the physical level. So, you know, there's an action, there's a reaction, and then there's something that comes out which is new. Equilibrium, right? Yeah, yes. or an equilibrium or a balance or whatever. And all stories are pretty much that. So if you start to understand that, then you can you can actually frame your training sessions like this. It's a very sort of high level way of thinking about coaching, I suppose. But but, um, but you could sorry to interrupt you, but you could also deploy this on yourself. So you could I'm I'm wondering, is this possible? Can I use this as a tool on myself? So can I decide that when i'm having a bad day or a bad week i can say oh 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 wait oh i see where i am this is the end of act two i got it go you know go. yeah this is belly of the beast yeah. yeah and it's it's i've been in the belly of the beast for 10 years so it's a big belly of the beast <laughs> but you know you you got to think you like saw that. right through me um, so but um you know absolutely yeah and when you get the understanding i mean in a way i understand that it's hugely important because if you understand that you are creating your own you're the architect of your own story then you real then you have power of it yeah here now comes you're self-efficacy like, again yeah right? i can i can shape the story and i can decide how i think about it and it's just the story mm-hmm. so i think it's really really important powerful stuff and i think storytelling is, is probably the oldest art form in the world and and it's probably the original art form of humanity in a way um and and the way we pass knowledge down and all that so it's yes yeah, super super important and you know doing it in a in a training session bringing in that's why it has the resonance because humans are story machines so if you feed them stories they'll be happy mm-hmm. and of course the final question three words to describe your practice i'm going to use the three words that um that i think is probably the that also describes the learning structure of the human mind which we teach in in when we're doing adapt in terms of like coaching theory and stuff so which is effectively explore challenge adapt um and i think that's also a pretty good definition of how parkour came around but that really is the learning structure of the human mind right in that you you basically explore you go out and you find things you 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 experiment with things um those things challenge you because you can't do them because they're new and then you have to create an adaptation to deal with that challenge uh, and to solve it to solve the problem so you know in 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 other speak it's it's um it's a- action feedback iteration Right, I suppose in coaching speaking, that do something, get some feedback, and then iterate using that feedback. So it's a it's a it's a structural thing, I suppose, which is again storyteller thing, I suppose, probably. Uh, and I think it's good because it it kind of summarizes really where what, probably what where parkour came from. It's just the the idea of exploring the world, finding challenges, and then creating adaptations to overcome them um, or solve them, and then starting again, and then exploring somewhere else, and then exploring somewhere else, and exploring somewhere else. And that cyclical thing is. Um, as long as you're doing that in your training, as long as you're following that open feedback loop, because that's what that is, I suppose, then you know your training is going to lead you to good places. You know, the problem comes when you have a closed feedback loop, obviously, and you're not. And then that that means you're not doing any of the exploration. So then you're going to have then you're going to have limitations to what you can achieve. So, so I think those those I'll probably go with those few words. Yeah, explore, challenge, adapt. Thank you very much, Dan. It's been a pleasure, and for me as well. This was episode 63. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 63. And there's more to the Movers Mindset Project than just this podcast. Visit our website for more free content, to join our email list, 
or to read about how you can support this project. And I'll leave you with a final thought from Winston Churchill. Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Thanks for listening.